We are glad that you're here. Now, today's the 10th sermon in a series of 10. And if you weren't here for the first nine, you can go online and you can watch them anytime. You just go to woodlawnpcb.info, go to sermons, and you can pick up any of those sermons that you want to learn or listen to and learn from. And so I hope that you will do that. Um, but today you'll get an overview and we'll be able to talk about it. Now, this is a journey with Jesus. And what we've been talking about is from the time that Jesus was baptized at the Jordan River uh, by John and then all the way to the time that he was sacrificed for the world, for the sins of the whole world. And last time we were together, we said Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and they were going for Passover. And Passover was a big celebration. They would all come together in Jerusalem and the population of the city would swell because people wanted to celebrate Passover because they were celebrating how the death angel passed over them in Egypt because they did as God instructed. They put blood from a lamb over the doorpost so that God might spare them so that they could be delivered out of Egypt and delivered out of bondage into freedom. And the city is filled with Jewish people and they're expecting Jesus to declare himself the Messiah. And they think that when Jesus comes, he's going to get rid of Roman occupation. He's going to take over and be in charge. He's going to be uh, king and, and in charge of everything. And they're going to be, it's going to be the good old days like King David and King Solomon when they were not occupied by a foreign country. The temple leaders and the religious leaders have tried to separate Jesus from the crowd because they want to kill him. They want to arrest him and kill him because Jesus has come to implement something completely new. No longer would they celebrate Passover. Now they would celebrate communion like we're going to have today. There's a relationship that you and I have because Jesus sets up his kingdom. It's a kingdom of the heart. It's a kingdom where you have a relationship with God through Jesus and his spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of you. And you can walk and talk with God and, and, and be encouraged and strengthened and affirmed by him every day. And so John in the 12th chapter, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now you can see their, their fear. You can see their jealousy. You know, if everybody follows Jesus, then there won't be anybody to follow us. Our livelihood, our way of life is going to change. He says he's the temple. He's greater than the temple. The temple is the whole central part of Jewish life. If the temple's going away, then what will we do? And so they're so threatened by that that they want to kill him so that they don't have to change. Now, I think that's universal. I think that what happens a lot of times for us is that we say, God, I don't want you to change anything. I've got everything the way I like it. I've got it all set up where I'm comfortable. Don't change anything. And God says, but I want to do something new. And you say, no, 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 God. This is the way we do it. This is the way we've been taught. This is what we're used to. Don't do anything new. But God all the time wants to do something new. And so Jesus and his disciples find a secure location for the Last Supper. And this is where he's going to introduce this concept. And that night, he inaugurated this new covenant, this new relationship. Now it's going to be a relationship between God and mankind. And he gave them terms and conditions of his new covenant, but it wouldn't be the 600 plus laws that they followed. It wouldn't even be the 10 commandments or even two laws. He narrows it down to just one thing. He says, if you want to be my disciple, this is what I want you to do. And he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
In other words, before it was a relationship with God that was vertical. I have a relationship with God. He has a relationship with me. I can be with God and I can treat other people any way I want to, right? And that was first century religion. And God said, no, that's not what I want. Jesus came and He said, no, because you have a relationship with God, what I want you to do is I want you to love other people. That's how I'll know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So now it's a horizontal relationship. If you want to show God you love Him, then you love your brothers and sisters. You love the people who are unlovable. You love the people who are difficult. You love the people that are marginalized, that nobody else cares about, that everybody else kind of overlooks. You love those people. You love everybody, and you'll show God that you love Him. And this would establish His new movement, Jesus' new movement. And the new movement was called the church. And the church is still here today, and the church is still in business today, and the church is still sharing good news with people who are far from God so that they might come to know Him as well. And God gives us divine appointments all the time, and we have a chance where we might speak up for God. That's really why we're here. If we didn't have anything else to do for God, we wouldn't be here. We'd go to heaven. Believe me. If you're still here, then it's an opportunity for you to witness for God. When you get to heaven, you won't be able to do that anymore, will you? You won't be able to lead somebody to Christ anymore because all you're going to have there is Christians. This is our chance to reach out to those who are far from God. And so after supper, Jesus says, let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And He takes His disciples. And he says, now you stay here and pray. I'm going to go over here and pray by myself. And then He comes back and they're asleep. He says, wake up, wake up and pray with me. And then he goes back again. And he comes back a third time and they're asleep again. And he wakes them up. And then Judas shows up and he brings all these henchmen with him from the temple. Jesus has prayed in the garden. He said, Lord, Father, if there's any way that you can let this cup pass from me, if there's any way we can do this without me having to die on the cross, then I want to do it. But nevertheless... Not your will, but not my will, but your will be done. And he's saying, I'm willing to die for you and for me. And he did. And because of that, no, no one could pay the debt for our sins except Jesus. And he's done that, the perfect lamb, without spot and blemish. And so the Bible says in Mark that everyone deserted him and fled. Now here are the disciples who promised allegiance to him. Here are the ones that said they're going to be faithful to Him. And when it, when it going got tough and it got rough and it looked like that they were coming to arrest Him, then the disciples just scattered. They dispersed. And so after that, it says they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law came together. And what follows next? This is interesting because we learn a lot of details in what's said next. But how do we know those details? Because all the followers left. How do we know what happened? Well, we find out from Luke, who wrote the history of the church, and it's called the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see how the New Testament church, the first century church, how it came, became alive as followers of Jesus followed him. And so that's what that's all about. The second chapter of Acts tells you a lot about what the church is supposed to be. If you want to know what the church is supposed to do, how it's supposed to act, what it's supposed to implement, you can read that. There's other parts, the fourth chapter especially, but there's the whole book of Acts will explain it to you. And many Pharisees became Jesus' followers after the resurrection. That's how we know the details. See, some of the guys who were in the meeting that were plotting to kill Jesus, when He was resurrected, they said, Okay, 
You win. We can't top that. You died. We saw you die and you're alive again. We get it. You know, we don't care about our lives anymore. We want to follow you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that the people who killed him wanted to be disciples now? And so that's what happened. And they gave the gospel writers the details that we have today. And here's what happened in Mark. The chief priests and the Sanhedrin, the whole Sanhedrin, were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. So what they do? They said, well, many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. They said, okay, look, find somebody on the street, need some money, they give them some cash. Okay, come on in here and testify against Jesus uh, and, and let's talk about how bad he was. And, but their, test, their stories didn't match up because they were lying, right? And there weren't any disciples there to tell the truth. And, and that's what happened. Finally, the high priest is just fed up and he, he's getting mad. And it says the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. See, they, they arrested him in the garden. They've taken him away. And now they've got a plan to get rid of him. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Now, this is a chance for Jesus to get off. This is a chance where Jesus doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't have to confess that that's the case. He can just say nothing. And, and what can they do? Because really, he hasn't done anything that they can really pin him on. But this is where his future and our future was determined. And he said, I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man. The Son of Man was a term he used for himself. Sitting on the right hand of the Mighty One, God, and coming on the clouds from heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes. Now, I want you to think about that picture for a minute. The Son of Man coming on a cloud from heaven. He's, he's been sent by the Father and He's coming for you and me. And I wish there was some way I could depict that. I wish I could show you a video of that. There's other things I want you to see today I'm going to talk about. Because if you and I could just see Him after the resurrection, we could see His hands, you know, and we could see His side. Can you imagine what that would be like? We would just all be on the floor. We would all be celebrating. But you know what? He is here. He is alive. He's proven that. And that's what we're going to see today. And in a moment, Jesus held that up in his own hands and the high priest tore his clothes. That was a sign of lament and anguish. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. Uh, what do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him at him and they blindfolded him. They struck him with their fist and they said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. And the men in the room then conspired together to figure out what was their next step so that they might enact, reenact their, or enact their plan. And the Bible tells us in Mark, very early in the morning, the chief priests were the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans because they have determined that Jesus is guilty. They still need Rome in order to enact what they want to do. There's no way for them to kill Jesus for themselves. It's, it's not in their law to do that. So they've got to get the ruling government of Rome to do that. And they have to figure out a way to convince Pilate, the Judean governor from Rome, that Jesus needs to be crucified. And it's the day before Passover. 
So they come up with what they think is best to get Pilate to do their bidding. And the Bible says, So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Now Pilate was the governor of Judea. And he had been in that job for about seven years. And we know from history that Pilate could not stand the Jews. In fact, he didn't even like to be in Jerusalem. He, he lived at Caesarea Maritima. It was over on the coast of the Mediterranean. He had a palace there. That's where he really wanted to be. He was at the beach with his family. That's where he liked to be, right? <laughs> See, you can relate to that, right? And so he's in Jerusalem with the Jews, but he's got to be there because at Passover, the city swells with all the different tourists and guests and people coming in. It's kind of like the summer season here in the summer when folks come in to come to Panama City Beach. And he's got to be there to keep order in the city because all kinds of unrest can come about during that time. He wants to keep peace. And so in John 18th chapter, it says, by now it's early in the morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. See, when the Jewish people brought him to Pilate, Pilate is there, and they have gone through all these ritual cleansings. They have all this routine. It takes a while to do it, and they're all preparing themselves so that they can participate in Passover, so that they can eat the meal together. Well, if they go inside a Gentile's house, then they're unclean and they'll have to start all over again. So they won't go in. Can you imagine the hypocrisy? Well, we want to be clean, so we're not going to cross the threshold while we figure out a way to kill this guy. That's what they're saying. That's exactly what they're saying. So Pilate, because he had no choice, he came out to them and he asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? They had a prepared statement, and here's what they said. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Now let me translate that for you, okay? Here's what they're saying. Let's not get bogged down in the details, okay? You know that we wouldn't bring him to you if this weren't important. We just need a little favor. That's what they're saying. And Pilate loved it when the Jews needed a favor because he eggs them on. He says, Pilate says, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. He wanted them to beg. He wanted them to acknowledge that Rome was sovereign over them. And they sighed because everybody knew the answer to that. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. That was music to Pilate's ears. Oh, that's right. You don't have the power to carry out your own laws. What a pity. What, when Pilate went back into the palace now, and knowing they wouldn't follow because they'd be unclean, he calls for Jesus to come in with him. The Bible says in John, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now what you need to know is that while Pilate and Jesus are inside the palace, that the Jewish leaders are out there wringing their hands. They're nervous because if Pilate and Jesus get together, there's no telling what's going to happen. There's no telling what Jesus will say to Pilate. Jesus influenced the crowds. He got a lot of people to follow him. Maybe Pilate will follow him and then all their plans will go down the drain. Pilate had heard the rumors about the rabbi who had come there to Jerusalem for Passover. And now Pilate has an opportunity to ask his questions. And he says, are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus says, are, is this your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? In other words, who told you to ask me that? Can you believe that? Can you believe he's saying that? And then Pilate, he gets a little on the edge at that point. He says, am I a Jew? 
Pilate replied, your own people, your chief priest handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. In other words, Pilate, you can't understand this, but I have a kingdom, but it's nothing like any kingdom you've ever seen. And someday you're going to see what that's all about, but right now you can't. He said, so you are a king, Pilate spoke up and said. So Pilate goes back to the crowd again in Luke, the 23rd chapter. And then it said, then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Over and over and over again, Pilate is trying to get out of having Jesus crucified. Pilate's wife is a follower. She's a Christian. She's had a dream. She says, do not crucify this man. There's something special about him. So Pilate wants them to let Jesus off. Uh, and, and so then they said, but they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. Now here's what I want you to catch real quick. Galilee is up in the north part of Israel, okay? And Judea is in the southern part of Israel. See the map up here? Okay, so see that lake up there? That's the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus was with his disciples a lot. That's where they lived. That's where he really spent a lot of his time. But then down here in Judea at the bottom, you can't see the bottom of the screen, but it says Jerusalem. That's the capital, and that's Judea. All through history, parts of Israel have been divided and changed. And at this time, this is what it looks like. So people would avoid Samaria. They hated Samaria so much that a lot of them would go around and cross the Jordan River so they didn't have to go through Samaria. Nobody wanted to be around the Samaritans, okay? And so what that, what that is, uh, the Judea comes from this word, uh, the Hebrew word, Yehuda, Yehuda, I'm sorry, Yehuda. And it's, it's a form of the name Jacob who um, is kind of the, the, the following of the tribe of Jacob. In other words, it's his descendants. That's really where all that comes from, okay? You know, they had different tribes from different leaders that God put in power. And he starts in Galilee, and he's come all the way here. And that's what they said. Somebody in the crowd spoke up and said something they shouldn't have said. They said, he started in Galilee, and he has come all the way here, okay? He started in Galilee, and he's come all the way here. See, he started in Galilee, and he's come all the way here. Yes, he's here now. Okay, good. Good. We can take the map down. Okay. So, but that's what I want you to see. And, and, and they messed up. Because Pilate only had jurisdiction over Judea. He didn't have jurisdiction over Galilee. And, and Pilate thinks to himself, Galilee? Wait a minute. So he's a Galilean. Well, this isn't even my jurisdiction. I don't have charge over here. You brought him to the wrong man. You need to take him to Herod. Herod is the king and the governor over Judea. So the soldiers take him to Herod's house, and Herod is thrilled. And he's heard the rumors, and he brings Jesus in, and he asks him the questions, but Jesus won't answer his questions. Herod gets fed up with him. Herod wants him to do tricks. Come on, Jesus. Pull a rabbit out of your hat. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. But Herod doesn't see what he wants to see, and he doesn't hear what he wants to hear, and so he gets fed up with him. You know, I think sometimes we do that. I think sometimes God doesn't do what we want him to do. 
He didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to answer it. He didn't do it when I wanted him to do it. It's not what I wanted. The timing wasn't right, and I'm not happy about it. God, why don't you just get on the same page with me and everything will be fine? And God said, who do you think you're talking to, right? Because he is the one true God. And God's never early, and he's never late. And he does know all the answers to all the questions. You can't, God, God never gets up one day and says, you know, I had a thought this morning. It never occurred to me before. <laughs> that just doesn't happen with him, right? That's why he's God. And so then he gets Jesus back. Pilate brings him back with the crowd out there. And, and he says this, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Again, he's trying to get out of crucifying Jesus. And the crowd went crazy, and they said, away with this man. And then Pilate had his soldiers take him, and he had Jesus flogged. Now, when they flog Jesus, here's what happens. They take off his robe. He's got a bare back exposed. And they have two Roman soldiers. And on each side, they have a cat of nine tails. Each one of them has one. And it's metal and bone. And it's tied into the leather. And when they hit Jesus' back with it, it's going to rip the flesh right off of his back like hamburger. And so they're going to take turns. This guy's going to do one side. And this guy's going to do the next. And this guy's going to do one. And this guy's going to do the next. And they keep hitting him. But they count. Why do they count? Because even the Romans had a law about how long you could flog somebody. If they said, you're going to get 40 lashes, they would always stop at 39 because they didn't want to break the law. So they would actually count out loud and they would stop at 39. Now, people died from being flogged, okay? They bled to death. They got infections because you can imagine that stuff. If they use it on people over and over again, what can happen? And in John 19, the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they clothed him in purple robe. And he went to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face and once more Pilate came out in hopes of seeing Jesus beaten. In other words, Pilate's thinking to himself, maybe if the Jews see what we've done to him, maybe if they see how he's been flogged, maybe they'll have mercy and say, enough is enough, let him go. Once more, Pilate came out to the Jews gathered there. Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Once again, he repeats himself. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. And even when he's been flogged, even when he's been beaten, he never did shout out and confess anything to my men to get them to start to stop. He's saying, listen, this guy has not done anything wrong. He's an innocent man. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And, and so he's scared now. Suddenly, this is crossed over from simply a Jewish thing to a Roman thing. For someone to, be, to claim to be the Son of God was a threat against the empire. So he goes back inside and Pilate decides to question Jesus even further. But this time Jesus won't answer him. And Pilate is amazed. 
He says, you know, normally when I get to this point, men fall on their knees and they beg me for a quick death that will be painless. And Jesus won't even answer. And in John 19, it says, Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it had not been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Pilate has seen it all, but he's never seen anything or anyone like Jesus because Pilate is looking into this man's eyes and he doesn't see a wild-eyed crazy man. When Pilate looks into the eyes of Jesus, he sees a sane, lucid, sincere person. And Pilate is intimidated by Jesus. And from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Checkmate. They've outmaneuvered him. They had him. Pilate knew that the emperor Tiberius had spies planted everywhere in the kingdom who could be listening to this conversation. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of Passover. It was about noon. This is the day before they're going to celebrate Passover. It's about lunchtime, right? Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. And then they, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Pilate's soldiers took charge of Jesus, and it says they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Now, if you go to Jerusalem, there's the old city of Jerusalem and the old city walls. They're still there. The city of Jerusalem, the modern city, has grown out beyond those city walls. And so you can easily see what it looked like back then and to, to a large extent and then what, what's happened since then. And when Laura and I were in Israel, we walked on the walls around the city, the old city of Jerusalem. That sounds pretty cool, right? Because it sounds like, you know, you're just up here in this place where they got archer slots and stuff, and you're just kind of walking around. You can look outside the wall. You can look over here and see what's over here. You're walking around. But it's not just a little casual stroll, okay? Let me let you in on a little secret. This is Stairmaster. This is aerobics, okay? You're going up and down and up and down. And some of the stuff that they've got there, it's built in such a way that, you know, people were shorter back then. That's a good thing to know. And so Laura and I have on these Tilly hats, right? Because we're, we're the rich Americans, they call us. When you walk through the marketplace, they say, look, rich Americans, you come here, do business with me. I cheat you right. They'll, they'll say anything to get you to, I'm telling you the truth, to get you to come over there. And so we've got these hats on and we're walking along the city wall. And I look and there's a guy sitting right, not far, there's a, there's a, a roof here and he's got his window open. He's in there typing. And I'm walking by and I've got my Tilly hat on, right? Now, you also need to know this. There are parts of the old city of Jerusalem, it's divided into four quadrants. There are parts of it that are pristine. They're clean, the economy's great, it's very well kept, but there are other parts of it that are filthy because those folks just dump their trash out 
on the side of the mountain, okay, or the hill. Well, when that happens, you can imagine who shows up. Rats. With rats, they got a lot of cats there. So there's cats walking around everywhere and going into this guy's place and coming back out. And he looks at me and he sees me with my hat on. And he, this guy says to me, howdy. <laughs> I guess he thought I was a cowboy, right? Howdy. I said, hey there, partner. How you doing? Good to see you, right? So we're walking along and thank God we got the hats on because Laura's in front of me and we start down these steps. And she doesn't realize, and I don't either, that the ceiling right there, the roof, it's lower than you would think. And it's made of stone, okay? And she hits her head on that rock, but thankfully there's a real pad on the front of her hat so it doesn't knock her out, and she's okay. But, we, you know, we were so great. I mean, it could have knocked her out, and she could have had a big scar and bled all over the place. And so, you know, I learned from Laura. I put my head down. It's one of the few times I was smarter than Laura. In fact, it's the only time. Laura's smarter than me all the time. But I put my head down. Now, when you're walking around that city wall and you look, there are places where they say, we know Jesus came here. These are the steps going up from the ritual baths to the temple mount. We know he was here. You can sit on those steps. They make your picture. We walk today where Jesus walked. There are other places that you look at and they say, well, this could have happened right here. We're really not sure if it happened here or not, but we think it happened here. And that's what Golgotha is. Golgotha, you can see from the city wall, it's like right across the street up on this hill. And there's this stone that's kind of a wall, it's just natural stone. And it, it kind of looks like a skull, like two eyes and a mouth up there. And it was a hill right outside of the city. And they took him. Now, we don't know if that was it, but it could have been. And you could imagine that that was what it was like because it was close. And they weren't going to go far. Everything was very close back then. And so they take him to that place. But, but he won't take the wine mixed with, mixed with myrrh, and then they crucify him there. Now, it took days to, be, to die from crucifixion. It was so gruesome that later on the city uh, or the church leaders banned it. They said, we're not going to let you kill people this way anymore. When Jesus died, the dream of Christianity died with him. All the followers dispersed. There was no one left. And if Jesus wasn't going to be there to be the Messiah, then why would there be any followers of Jesus? If he's dead, he's dead. And the movement of the church was over. So Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, and Nicodemus went and asked Pilate for his body, and they got it, and they took it to a tomb that Joseph of Arimathea owned. No one had ever used it, and they put him inside the tomb, and they had to get him ready quickly because it was close to the time for the sun to go down, and it was the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you don't work. This is Friday night before Saturday. Saturday is their Sunday, their worship, their, their Sabbath day. If you're in Israel and you're in the hotel, the phone starts blinking. There's a phone in the room and it starts, it's a little red dot and it starts blinking and it's going, the Sabbath is coming, the Sabbath is coming. You're not going to be able to get anything to eat. You better hurry up. And then at six o'clock, boom, it's over. And so if you don't have something then or where you're staying, you can't just go out in the city and eat you can't, because it's the Sabbath. It's still that way in Jerusalem today. And so the next day, Pilate is disturbed once again. The Bible says in Matthew, the 27th chapter, that the priests and the Pharisees come back to Pilate. And here's what they say, sir. They say, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So he comes in, they come in to ask one last favor. So here's what they say. 
So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. That last deception will be worse than the first. Take the guard, they say. Pilate says, he answers, and go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone that's, and posting a guard. They rolled this big stone, they put a seal on it, and they've got a guard there. And that night, a lot of them slept well. Caiaphas slept well, knowing that once again, he had outmaneuvered Pilate, and he had leveraged the power of Rome and gotten Rome to do his bidding. Pilate slept well, knowing that soon the Passover would be over. Soon the people would disperse. The crowd would no longer be in Jerusalem. He could go back to the beach to his palace there on the Mediterranean and get away where he enjoyed his family. And in Rome, the emperor Tiberius had no idea of the events that had transpired because they all expected Jesus to stay dead. But little did they know that they would secure their place in history that their names would be spoken for generations in languages they did not know, in places that they did not even know existed. Because each one of those people would become a footnote in the story of the rabbi from Galilee. For what they intended to be the end was really the beginning. Jesus was resurrected and that changed everything. Now you could be forgiven of your sins. <clears throat> now you could have life after death. Now you could spend all eternity with Jesus. Now there would be followers because Jesus is alive and He's living in heaven. Do you know what He's doing? He's seated at the right hand of God the Father and He's, he's communicating with the Father what we pray. Lord, Joe's down there praying. He's asking for this right now. And, and I know from personal experience that's real hard and I want you to I want you to remember that. And would you just help him, Father? That's what he needs. That's what he's doing. And he says, when I leave you, I'm leaving the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's the Spirit who lives in us and convicts us and leads us so that we might walk with him daily and live for him. And Jesus was who he said he was. He was victorious over sin and death. <clears throat> and Christians would be able to live Forever. And that's why we still tell the story today. Because when we get to heaven, we can't tell people about Jesus anymore and they can't accept Christ there. But while we're here, while we're here, this is our chance. This is our opportunity. This is why we're here. That's what God wants us to do with our time. He wants us to love other people into the kingdom. He wants us to show and exhibit and be an example that people are drawn to us because they're drawn to God and we get a chance to share the faith with them. And you know what? For all who know Jesus, Jesus wins. For all who know Jesus, we win too. And that's a hallelujah if I've ever heard one, is it not? I wish I could show you a video today of Jesus resurrected. I wish I could show you how the people, their mouths just dropped and they fell on their faces on the floor. I wish I could dramatize that for you so you could see it. But you know what? You will. Because as Christians, He is alive. And it makes all the difference for you and me. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.